Session two of our Hot Topic course on alcohol. In this session, we are going to look at what the Old Testament says about alcohol, all right? So we're going biblical. We're getting in there. Um, there's a lot of references, tons and tons of references, and too many for me to actually have a physical Bible. I've got them all here on my notes, uh, but my notes are available to you. And so you can download the notes and see all of these uh, many different references where alcohol uh, and the subject of alcohol is all throughout Scripture uh, in a variety of different ways. So what are those ways? Let's get into it, okay? So uh, the first thing that I'm going to say about alcohol is uh, Scripture portrays alcohol as a symbol of joy. It says that alcohol is a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of the joy of the Lord. It's a symbol of joy uh, for humanity and bringing joy to our hearts. Psalms 4 verse 7 talks about this. Psalms 104 verse 15 talks about this. Ecclesiastes 10 verse 19 talks about this. These are all examples where alcohol and wine, it, you know, it talks about wine even specifically, but there's wine, there's strong drink, which refers to, uh, you know, I probably a little stronger things than wine, a little bit more alcohol, you know, content in it. And so uh, it refers to it first and foremost as a symbol of joy. And come on, we know this, that sometimes when you drink alcohol, it has the ability to make you merry, right? It has the ability to, to cause you to relax and cause you to enjoy uh, life. And so there's a lot of people that talk about that and how it's a great tool for friendship and making people merry and making people joyful. And scripture, it affirms this. It says, and it affirms that alcohol is a symbol of joy, okay? Uh, next thing it says, it says that alcohol is a symbol of good sexuality, <laughs> all right? So hide your kids, right? Uh, it's a symbol of good sexuality. And so this is referred to lots in the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon, uh, chapter one, verses two and four, chapter four, verses 10, chapter five, verses one, chapter seven, verses two and nine, uh, chapter eight, verses two. And it compares a lot of, uh, it uses wine, it uses vineyards, it uses all these things as a metaphor for actually a beautiful expression of sexuality. It talks about enjoying the gift of sex and enjoying the gift of, of intimacy uh, with your spouse. Uh, it can be compared to good tasting wine. It's, it's, it's compared to that, or it's compared to like a vineyard, a vineyard which produces wine, right? And that's where you get the famous um, uh, uh, saying in Song of Solomon of it's, you remember, maybe you might know this phrase, it's the little foxes that spoil the vine. Well, the vine of what? Well, the vine in the vineyard that produces the grapes that produces wine, right? And so when you let little things come into your marriage and when you let them get into your intimacy, it, it spoils the vine, it wrecks it. And so uh, it unashamedly uses wine as, a, as an example. It unashamedly uses vineyards. And you actually find that example of vineyards being used as a description. Jesus used it a ton. He referred to vineyards and used vineyards to compare it to. We'll get that into that in the New Testament as well. But it's an example that's used continually in scripture. So it's a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of good sexuality, all right? So again, these are all positives. It's putting alcohol in a positive light, in a positive category, um, okay? Uh, to add to that with it, it's also a symbol of God's joy, all right? It's a symbol of God's joy. And uh, he refers to his people 
as a vineyard, all right? So he compares it and this, the people in those days, they understood, they, they grew vineyards and they grew and cultivated grapes and they took it through the fermented process and, and cultivated it. And, and basically it, God talks about how he delights in his people. Uh, and, and, and it's a symbol of the joy of the Lord that good wine is like, it, it's a symbol of God's joy that's being gift. It's basically, it's a gift of God. It's a blessing of the Lord that when we receive it appropriately, when we practice it uh, healthily, that in one way we, we can be enjoying the blessings of God. Uh, this is expressed in Psalms chapter 80, verse eight and verse 14, Isaiah chapter five, verses one to five and verse seven, Jeremiah chapter two, verses 21, Jeremiah chapter 12, verses 10. And uh, in Hosea chapter 10 and verse one, Jesus or God uh, basically communicates to his prophets that he delights in his people enjoying wine, enjoying good drink. It, it, there's not a disapproving outlook. There's not a disapproving approving perspective from God's perspective as expressed through his prophets towards his people enjoying wine. And so for me, listen, uh, just kind of pause here. This was a big shift for me. Okay. And I'll just tell you about this. Some of you might laugh at me, whatever. It's my journey. Uh, this is, this was my thinking process. This was a shift for me. I guess I always put alcohol in a category uh, based on what I was taught and what I knew and how I understood it and just the specific passages that I looked at. I didn't uh, do a full deep dive into this till recently, uh, but I always viewed alcohol as being, uh, I guess the best way to describe it is I would have probably thought that alcohol and uh, the ability uh, for wine was the result of the fall. In other words, God didn't intend for us to have alcohol. In a perfect creation, alcohol wasn't a part of the good thing that God made. And that, that would have been my assumption. That would have been uh, the, the thinking that I had. And so I would have thought what happened, people stumbled across it. God recognized that people stumbled across it. He wasn't too happy about it, but he permitted it. He just kind of put some things in around it. But if God had his ways, uh, again, some of you are probably laughing at me and I get that, whatever, laugh at me. I, I laugh at myself now and shake my head at myself sometimes. But I would have thought that God kind of permitted it, but if he had his ways, he would prefer that we didn't uh, drink it or we didn't enjoy it. That, that was kind of my perspective. Getting into this holistic understanding of scripture totally changed my mindset. It changed my mindset in it seeing not alcohol as this thing that God would rather us not, that he, whatever, if you're going to do it, you're weak, you know, whatever you're uh, engaged with it, but you know, be careful, you know, around it. And it's just, you know, kind of like that, you know, overzealous parent, just constantly be careful, be careful, be, you know, jumping on that, that God's not like that. Actually, God uh, gave us the gift of alcohol. He gave us the gift and he wants us to enjoy it. And he delights in us enjoying it. And so for me, and I'll reference this a few different times, uh, alcohol moved from this category of this unintended thing of this earth into the same category. And you're going to see this throughout the rest of scripture and throughout the rest of this course into the same category as something like sex, as something like uh, money, as something like food, right? Or something like power could be a another thing, okay? 
All of these things, sex is a gift from God. There are dangers if you take it further outside of its boundaries, that it, it can hurt you. There's lots of warnings about sex, but in nowhere do we conclude that the warnings about sex mean that we should abstain from sex, that everybody should abstain from sex permanently. We don't take it to mean that. We see sex is a gift that God has given to us that was intended for pleasure. It was intended for joy. It was intended for procreation and for his purposes here on the earth. And so when I put alcohol in the same category as I put, you know, sex in my thinking or money in my thinking, money, the abuse of it can lead to greed, right? It can lead us astray. And so we've got to guard our hearts against greed that it can pull us down that path. And so we need to be wise around this and build some wise practices. But, but when we practice healthy sexuality, when we practice healthy money practices, it can be a source of joy, it can be a source of peace. It can be a source of pleasure. It can be uh, wonderful and it can enhance our life uh, in beautiful ways. And I've come to believe the same thing about alcohol. And the reason why uh, scripture led me there, the, the, the scriptures, they led me there to that place. Some of you, you were led there, you know, without any of that, that's fine. This is just my journey, okay, in going there. And I got it from stuff like this, where I could see God's outlook on it was it's a symbol of joy. It's a symbol of good sexuality. It's a symbol of God's joy. And he delights in us taking pleasures in these things, okay? So those are kind of like the first three things. Then let's get into this, some that we're all familiar with and probably many of you are familiar with it, okay? This is what else it says, all right? The Bible gives dozens of examples and it gives dozens of, of instructions about the abuse of alcohol, okay? Uh, it talks about when it's abused, horrible consequences accompany it. Um, one of the first examples of this was the drunkenness of Noah uh, and the drunkenness of Lot. Both of those stories are found in Genesis chapter nine, verses 20 to 29. Uh, Lot chapter 19, verses 30 to 38. You know, Noah, he gets out, plants a vineyard, does all of it, and then just gets hammered, right? And ends up stripping off all his clothes, getting naked. His kids see it. It's just, wow, it's a big mess. And, you know, there's a lot of mess that occurred, you know, from that. That is That was disapproving. It was wrong. You crossed a line. You didn't have healthy boundaries around that. And so it warns that when we abuse it, when we don't uh, have healthy practices around it, uh, there are horrible consequences that often accompany it. Uh, drunkards, so people who are drunk, scripture clearly in the Old Testament, New Testament, it affirms the idea that drunkenness, that getting to that state of drunkenness where you have lost control or you know, you're, it's, you're so intoxicated that you're doing things that you wouldn't ordinarily do and all that kind of stuff, uh, that that's taking it too far. That's out of bounds. You shouldn't go there. Just like sexual immorality, using sex outside of God's design, um, it's that that's out of bounds. It typically leads to consequences that we have to deal with and that we have to face. And many of them aren't good. And there's negative things that result because of that. Okay. Drunkards. Drunkards are portrayed as fools all throughout scripture. And I've got a ton of references. Deuteronomy 21 verse 20. Uh, I'll just, you know, cherry pick some judges chapter 12 verse 25 for Samuel chapter one, 13 to 15. Uh, Psalms chapter 60, chapter 69, 107. There's different verses all in there. Ecclesiastes 10, 17, Isaiah 5, 11 to 12. You get the idea. There's tons in Isaiah. Jeremiah has one. Ezekiel has some. Amos, Nahum, Habakkuk, all of these. There's just warning after warning after warning after warning. And it says, if, you, if you're a drunkard, if you're given to drunkenness and all of that, you're a fool. And you know it, it ends up creating foolish things and foolish decisions and, and sometimes deadly consequences 
consequences within your life. There's a variety of stories, okay, going on in this theme uh, because this is, this is fully what it says. It talks about how different kings and warriors were duped into defeat while they were intoxicated, all right? So that when they were drinking on the job or drinking, making big decisions, it put them in a vulnerable state and they made foolish decisions, which people still make foolish decisions today when they give themselves and when they're intoxicated and uh, when they have too much to drink. First Samuel 25 uh, has a story about this. Second Samuel chapter 11, Verses 13, uh, chapter 13, verses 28 to 29 also give some examples. First Kings 16, uh, first Kings 20, and Daniel chapter 5, uh, verses 1 to 4 and verse 23, all are examples around this. All right, you with me so far? That's a lot of references, but here's the theme. Uh, people often get duped and uh, they make horrible decisions that end up having consequences, not just on themselves, but on other people that they're responsible for. And this is still true for us today. Okay. Uh, Perhaps uh, one of the reasons why drunkenness is so, you know, looked down on uh, the Old Testament also uses it as an imagery, uh, uses the imagery of drunkenness to describe God's wrath. All right. It uses the imagery of drunkenness to describe uh, 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 how God, uh, brings his wrath on sin and uh, how he doesn't approve of sin because uh, swift judgment comes unexpectedly. When we're drunk, things come unexpectedly. We don't see it coming. And so you see this imagery in the Old Testament that's used of drunkenness to describe God's wrath. Psalms chapter 75, six to eight in chapter 78, Psalms 29, uh, Psalm 49, Psalm 51, Psalm 63, Psalm 65, lots, uh, no, Isaiah, sorry, Isaiah 29, 49, 51, 21, and 63. Jeremiah chapter 13, verses 12 to 14, Lamentations 1, verse 15, Ezekiel 23, verse 33. I know I'm giving you tons of references, but what I want you to see is number one, it's all in here. These are the passages I want to try to give you a holistic picture that these are all in there. So there's numbers of passages that describe this. And there's some in Joel, Obadiah, and uh, Micah as well. Okay. So you see this, there's warnings, there's the example, and it's used as the imagery of drunkenness. Again, drunkenness, not alcohol, drunkenness, taking it to far, taking it outside of its boundaries, it's compared to God's wrath. You also see examples, and this is really good for us, and it, honestly, it's just a lot of common sense, right? Uh, you also see examples of uh, people practicing abstinence, so people um, abstaining from drinking alcohol for specific tasks, and you see God instructing certain people, certain leaders, certain uh, people in positions to abstain for a time or to abstain while doing a task. They're like, duh, don't show up to work drunk, right? Don't show up hammered. Uh, you're, you're not going to be productive. It's not going to be good. You could end up causing harm to those around you. Here are some examples of this in Leviticus chapter 10, verses eight to nine and Ezekiel chapter 44, verse 21. We see the priests while they were ministering in the tabernacles were not to drink. No kidding, right? So as a pastor, don't show up Sunday morning drunk, right? Don't show up having had drinks when you're preaching the word and doing that. No, be sober-minded when you're doing this. The Nazarites, some of you are familiar with the Nazarites. Um, they were to abstain from drink while taking a vow of separation. Numbers chapter six, verses one to four, Amos chapter two, verses 12. Yet, yet, and this is important to note, they could drink upon completing the vow. So there was a Nazarite vow, it would last for a season, and then they could drink upon completing their vow. Numbers chapter six and verse 20, okay? So for a time, consecrate yourself. And listen, I would recommend that there's some people that it, you, we would, you would be wise to fast from alcohol. You would be wise to fast 
fast from other things uh, and, and certain practices. Uh, I know we practice regular fasts for a variety of different things. For us, screens and technology and entertainment and all that kind of stuff. You know, fast from fast food, fast from pop, you know, and that type of thing. That Those are good cycles and good seasons. And this is exactly what it was. God was leading certain groups of people to take vows for certain periods of time. But then what I want you to see is once the vow was complete, uh, drinking was permissible for them to engage in that. Samson's mother was encouraged not to drink while she was pregnant. Hey, is that a good idea? Yeah. You know, even people that don't subscribe to Christianity or something like that. No, if you're pregnant, don't drink, you know, while, while you're carrying a child. And so you see that uh, talked about in Judges chapter 13, verses four uh, and uh, verse seven and verse 14. Um, you see that treading the wine press and bringing wine into Jerusalem was prohibited on the Sabbath. And so Sabbath was a sacred day. It was a day of rest. And you see this in Nehemiah uh, verses 13, uh, 15 to 18. Uh, you see an example of Daniel who chose to abstain from wine and meat while in exile in order to make a theological point, right? He was trying to show to the king and to the king's men uh, that they could, by observing certain dietary uh, practices that they had engaged, that it wouldn't dull them. It would actually make them sharper. And so he made a theological point to the Babylonians in Daniel chapter one, verse five, Daniel chapter one, verse eight, Daniel chapter one, verses 15 to 16. Uh, while Daniel was mourning, he fasted from wine and other delicacies for three weeks. All right, call that the Daniel fast, right? And doing that, it wasn't really a fast. It was, you know, a diet, but whatever we, we label it that and it sells books. So we talk about that. Okay, so Daniel, uh, he practice this for a period of time. All right. And we also see examples of judges and princes while they're issuing justice, while they're ruling, they need to do it uh, <coughs> with sobriety. They need to do it while not drinking. No kidding. Right. And so we, again, some of these things are social norms. We accept them uh, in this day. But what I want you to see is this wisdom and this insight it's found within the pages of scripture. Okay. We're doing good. All right, so, so far, what have we noticed? We've noticed that number one, it's a symbol of joy. Alcohol is a symbol of good sexuality. It's a symbol of God's joy. We see that there's lots of warnings. There's, when we abuse it, there's consequences. People are foolish that are given to alcohol too much and that are drunk uh, all the time and given to drunkenness. That people, there was examples of people who got their butts kicked and uh, they got taken advantage of when they were intoxicated. And we see that there were clear instructions while certain people were performing specific tasks or certain people in specific times for specific periods were to abstain from alcohol. And that was a good thing. It was a healthy thing. All of these things are found within the Old Testament. All right, let's move on. Wisdom literature, okay? In wisdom literature, we see uh, things like this. Whoever is led astray by wine or strong drink is not wise. You see that in Proverbs chapter 20 and verse one, okay? So wisdom literature, we're talking uh, Proverbs, we're talking Psalms, we're talking Job, we're talking Ecclesiastes, we're talking Song of Solomon. These, these are the wisdom lit books. So whoever's led astray by wine or strong drink, they're not wise. And those who tarry long over wine will see strange things and utter perverse things, all right? So in other words, if you keep drinking, you keep binging on this stuff, it's going to change your perception of reality. You're going to say stupid things and there's consequences for that. And lastly, uh, it talks about in Proverbs chapter four, verse 17, that the wicked drink uh, the wine of violence that, you know, some people when they drink, uh, maybe you know somebody who's like this, or maybe this was maybe the story in your home, which is why you're averse to it and totally understandable. When people get drunk, they get angry, they get violent. It just brings out those things in them. Those are things to be aware of. That's not, that's not good. That's not healthy. It's not producing 
producing good things on the inside of you. This isn't joy. Uh, this isn't blessing. This is actually causing curse to people around you. And so uh, Proverbs points out the obvious. No, like that's not good. We, we, we shouldn't do this uh, yet. Okay. So th that's one side yet. We're told in Proverbs chapter three, verses nine to 10, if one honors the Lord, there will be, abund there will be an abundance of grain and wine. All right, so we see that one of the blessings of, uh, of the Lord is an abundance of wine and abundance of food and grain. Furthermore, wisdom herself is personified as someone who beckons to fools to come to her and partake of her bread and partake of her wine. So wisdom calls people to come partake of this. Proverbs chapter nine, verses one to six, as opposed to fellowshipping with folly. Proverbs nine, 13 to 18, all right? So, the wisdom literature is, again, it, it's, it's pretty much like the rest of the Old Testament. It's pretty much like the rest of scripture. It gives a warning against drunkenness and the stupidity that it can bring on, but it also speaks of the blessing, the blessing of its proper use that when wisdom is accurately applied, there's an abundance of this and it's there for you to enjoy and it beckons you to come and enjoy it and to drink your fill of it and and and, and to, to, to experience the the blessing and the joy of it, all right? Uh, okay, here, here you go. Proverbs 31. We don't usually, when we talk about the Proverbs 31 woman and virtuous woman in the women's seminar, we don't usually uh, bring this up. But uh, did you know that the virtuous woman is a home brewer? She has a vineyard. Why does she have a vineyard? To plant grapes and for those grapes to be processed and to be brought forth into wine. This was the, the process within this culture. And so the virtuous woman makes wine, right? And they, they cultivate their grapes and they cultivate the garden and, and, and the vineyard there. That's what it says in Proverbs 31 and verse 16. All right, there you go. Find yourself a woman who does that. That's great. Um, overall, okay, overall, here we go. Having fun. We're good. We can have fun together, right? Overall, here's what the clear message of wisdom lit is, okay? The abuse, the abuse, the abuse of money, the abuse of power, the abuse of wine, the abuse of food are all warned against, all right? It, it, it doesn't just single out alcohol. It doesn't just, sing, it singles out all those things, the abuse of money, power, wine, and food, that they're all warned against within wisdom literature. But we're also told that honoring God, when we honor God appropriately, when we honor him right, it brings money, power, wine, and food. So it brings these things to us. The, the uh, intention is, is that we're growing in wisdom as we gain these things, that we're growing in maturity as we gain these things. We're not staying as little children, but, but, but we're maturing around these topics and we're understanding ourselves and our dispositions towards certain of these areas. Some of us might need to abstain for the sake of wisdom, for the sake of maturity, for the sake of love towards others. We might have to abstain in some of these areas more than other people. But again, one person's need to abstain from something because of its potential abuse being applied in their life is not a blanket abstinence that needs to be applied to everybody else, all right? The misuse of something does not neglect the proper use of it, all right? And we'll, we bring out that point regularly within this course, and that's basically the wisdom of the wisdom lit books within scripture, all right? Uh, let's finish this out. Got just a couple more things to cover. Uh, Israel's feasts, the feasts of Israel, okay? So this is an insight and basically how God uh, led 
uh, the children of Israel at that time in that covenant, this is how he led them to party. This is how he led them to celebrate. These were the holy days that were established within the West, within Christianity. We have different days of celebration, different holy days. We have Easter, we have Christmas, we have Thanksgiving. We practice all of these different things. Uh, Israel followed a different pattern during their time under their covenants. Okay. And so this is what was done in God. He gave specific instructions of how to prepare for these feasts and how to participate participate within these feasts, all right? Um, We see this, that wine and strong drink were used as part of the drink offerings that were done in the tabernacle and the temple, that the use of wine, the use of drink, it was a regular part of the libations and of the drink offerings that were practiced within the tabernacle. This is clear in Exodus chapter 29, verse 40, Leviticus 23, verse 13, Numbers 15, uh, verse 5 and verse 7 and verse 10, chapter 18 and verse 12, Okay, I could go on Deuteronomy 12, 17, Deuteronomy 14, 23, Deuteronomy 18, 4, 1 Samuel 1, 24, 1 Chronicles 9, uh, 29, 1 Chronicles 31, verse 5. I could go through Ezra, I could go through Nehemiah. There's a few passages in all of these different things. But what I want you to see that God uh, instructed them to use alcohol within these offerings and during these times. Uh, When the law was read after the exile, Nehemiah commanded the people to (laughs) eat the fat, and drink the wine. Come on, somebody. He, 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 he told them to eat the fat and drink the wine. Why? Because it was a holy day. <laughs> you bet you didn't hear that on Easter Sunday, right? Today, I want you to eat the fat and drink the wine. Why? Because the day's holy, right? Their ideas in holy days were to party, right? To enjoy the blessings of the Lord, enjoy these different things. If you were vegan, might've been a little uncomfortable, but whatever, you can work through that. God instructed them to eat the fat and drink the wine because it was a holy day to the Lord. Don't believe me? Nehemiah verse uh, chapter eight and verse 10. Why would God, now I just wanna ask this question. Why would God prescribe the use of alcoholic beverages in these ways if they were inherently evil? All right, answer, they weren't. It was drunkenness that was evil. It was the abuse of it that was evil. But within its proper place, within social celebrations, within uh, celebrations of remembering what the Lord has done for you, it was encouraged, it was instructed, and it was seen as something that can enhance your celebrations and your enjoyment. This is possibly a much different perspective than some of you uh, were taught or that some of you knew, but it's all there in the scriptures. For some of you, this is all you were taught. This is what you looked at and you're like, yay, you know, practicing that, raise a glass, you know, and doing that. I get it. And so there's different things, but basically I'm fulfilling my promise. It's in the scriptures. I share this with you and it raises questions depending upon our background and depending upon our upbringing. Okay. Um, Jotham, he said in a parable regarding Abimelech in Judges chapter 9 and verse 13 that wine cheers God and men. Wine cheers God and men, a reference to the drinking offering that somehow when that happened, it cheered God that they were drinking to him. And so he used this in the parable. Interesting, all right? In covenantal structure, under the law, there were blessings for obedience and there were curses for disobedience. What's the most striking about the contrast is the presence and the abundance of wine associated with the blessing of the covenant and 
It's absence in the cursing, all right? If you don't follow his ways, the consequence, there would be a lack of wine as part of the curse of the covenant, all right? Uh, wine being associated with the blessing of the covenant is found in Deuteronomy 7, verse 13, Deuteronomy eleven fourteen, 14, Deuteronomy 32, 10. Why do I do this when I do these verses? I don't know. Uh, Deuteronomy 33, verse 28, 2 Kings 18, verse 32, Isaiah 36, verse 14, Jeremiah 40, verse 10 to 12, and Hosea 2, verse 8. Uh, if you keep the covenant, if you follow it along, there will be an abundance of wine. That's what was told. But the consequence, if you didn't keep the part of the covenant, was there would be a lack of wine. And that was a sign of the curse of the covenant. Deuteronomy 28, verse 39, verse 51, chapter 29, verse 6, Isaiah 122, Isaiah 16, 10, Isaiah 24, 1 to 13, Jeremiah 48, verse 33, Lamentations 2, verse 12, Hosea 2, verse 9, verse 22, Joel 1, 5 to 7, Amos 5, 11, I'm running out of breath. You know, Micah, basically there's a lot of passages in there that talk about part of the curse, a sign of the curse is actually a lack of wine and seeing that. So it's interesting within the covenantal structure, this was how wine, it was seen as a tool and as an instrument of blessing. The lack of it was seen as a curse. All right. Uh, the blessing of wine is even included in some of the patriarchal blessings that we see being passed down from generation to generation. Genesis 27 verse 28, verse 37, uh, Genesis 49 verses 8 to 12. Bread and wine were also present when the priest uh, king Melchizedek blessed Abraham, a type and shadow of Christ. Christ, we're told in Hebrews, uh, it was present. There was bread, there was wine when he blessed Abram in Genesis chapter 14 and verse eight. All right, uh, here we go. Almost done. Perhaps, perhaps one of the most intriguing elements of the Old Testament regarding alcohol, which provides a fitting conclusion to this uh, study and into what we've been looking at, is the abundance of wine that is depicted in the eschatological era. So basically the final destiny, the eschatological era of uh, how, when God restores Israel and when God restores all of creation, all right? And so there's this, there's this imagery of like, in the time that is to come, when all things are being made new, when all things are right, right? And, and he fulfills all of these promises. One of the things that's going to be there is an abundance of wine. All right, Isaiah 25, verse six, Isaiah 62, six to nine, Isaiah 65, verse eight and verse 21, Jeremiah 31, verse five, Jeremiah 31, verse 12, chapter 32, verse 15, Ezekiel has one in 28, Hosea has one in chapter 14, verse seven, Joel uh, chapter two, verse 19, and Zechariah has a couple of passages in chapter nine and chapter 10, okay? So again, this is talking about the time which is to come when all these things are fulfilled, the future destiny, there's an abundance of wine. And Israel is summoned by God to come in this time and to buy wine and buy milk without money as a portrait of the eschatological era of salvation and covenantal renewal in Isaiah chapter 55 and verse one. In this time, the promise is made that your vats will burst forth with new wine. Uh, Joel chapter two and verse 24, and the mountains will be dripping with sweet wine. Woo! Uh, Joel chapter three, verses 18, and Amos chapter nine, verses 13 to 14. All right, Woo, that's a lot. I know this took a little bit of time. If you're with me this far, I hope that uh, what has happened over this period of time has been an honest, uh, in-depth, full holistic look at what the Old Testament has to say about alcohol. So let's summarize, okay? Here's the summary that I take away from. Uh, alcohol, 
This is what Old Testament says about it. Alcohol is a blessing of the Lord and it's a sign of his blessing. Uh, one of the authors of one of the books called, um, I think it's Alcohol, I got it down here, Alcohol in the Church uh, by Margaret uh, A. Fodd. She wrote this uh, when she was summarizing the Old Testament and her overview of it. She said that wine is seen as a part of God's magnificent providence in sustaining and providing pleasure in life. This is definitely the picture that the Old Testament paints. So number one, alcohol is a blessing of the Lord and a sign of his blessing. Number two, there is a clear warning about drunkenness. There is a clear warning about its abuse and misuse and many examples for us to see of things going wrong when we abuse it, okay? We are to use wisdom and self-control. Uh, Margaret writes in, in her book, the same book, according to the Old Testament, temperate sobriety was to be maintained through self-control. Feasting was to be carried on, but within the limits of self-control. Why? Because too much drink can bring ruin, right? We don't need to be told this. We see these warnings uh, within our culture and in our society today. And so that warning is given within scripture. Number three, number three, it is to be enjoyed. There is nothing wrong with enjoying alcohol. There's nothing wrong with enjoying wine, according to the Old Testament, as we give it uh, its survey, but it's to be enjoyed within moderation. Wine, Margaret writes, is uh, in its production and consumption. It was just an undeniable part of the everyday life of both the chosen people of God and their neighboring nations. It was a part of their life and it was something to be managed. It was something to be uh, uh, enjoyed, but with wisdom and with moderation. So this is what the Old Testament has to say about it, okay? Take a breath, uh, maybe go get some water or... I don't know, something else, whatever, that's up to you. And uh, we'll come back to session three and we're gonna take a look at what the New Testament has to say about alcohol.